Hi, everybody. It's John Dickerson. Welcome or welcome back to the Connection Point podcast. At the end of this episode, I'd encourage you to take a moment and check out cp.news on your web browser. Connection Point is a church that is fully online, and you can follow Jesus one day at a time from anywhere in the world with us. Well, I pray this message inspires you and challenges you today to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. awesome uh, to see that amazing group of widows using their gifts and serving. If you've never experienced it before, serving your way is often the best way to get through a storm in life. I want to give a big welcome, whether you're over at Avon, Fishers, online, or right here at Brownsburg. We're just so, so glad that you're here. I hope you know that the creator who made you loves you. He's reaching out to you today, and I'm so glad that you're reaching out to him. Well, we're in this series called King's and queens, it's all about relationships, and no matter what season of life you're in, you surely have relationships, and they are the source of a lot of our greatest joy and a lot of our greatest pain. I don't know how you watch TV these days. Mostly at our house, we stream shows, so we don't see as many TV commercials as we used to see, but lately I've been watching a lot of sports, basketball and football. I've been seeing more commercials. And there's one out right now that every time I see it, it makes me chuckle. Uh, It's about future you. It's set in the year 2074, and it's this regret of never saving for retirement. Uh, Check it out. Feel free to chuckle if it makes you laugh. Go ahead and take a look. Hey, it's me, your future you. You made some bad money moves. Now we're totally screwed. Didn't fund your IRA. Thought NFTs were a better play. Now you still work at 103. Your boss hasn't hit puberty. Who's ready for their performance review? Don't make your future you hate you. Start making smarter financial decisions today. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. All right, it makes me chuckle every time. And, And unlike some commercials, I watch it. I'm like, that is true. There's a principle in life, even if you're here and you don't yet believe in God, you can just look at the way the world works. This is clearly true. In life, you get to pick your pain. There will be pain, but you get to pick between these two options. You can pick some pain now. So I got my paycheck. There's all these things I want to buy, but some pain now. I'm going to not buy everything I want. I'm going to set some aside for the future and have lasting gain. Or you can pick pleasure now always. Every paycheck, I'm going to spend every dollar I get and then some, and then future you looks back and says, why didn't I save? This is true across all the different domains of life. Uh, It's obviously true in our finances. It's also true in our physical health. So, you know, don't shoot the messenger here. But the reality is in your physical health, if you always eat what looks good and always eat as much of it as you desire... And if you only ever exercise when you feel like it and want to, well, you're picking pleasure now, and it will end up with some lasting pain, some doctor's appointments or worse that result because you just never denied yourself in the moment versus sometimes saying, you know, I think I've had enough, or I'm going to pick some pain now and then have lasting health down the road. Uh, This is also true in your career. If you only work on the days that you feel like it, you only get out of bed on the days you feel like it, you only really apply yourself and give, your, give it 100% when you're emotionally motivated to, then you're going to miss a lot of opportunities for that employee who shows up and gives it their best 
even when they don't feel like it. Someone's going to do that, and someone's going to get promoted. And it won't be us if, if we don't pick some pain in the present. Also true in your personal growth of just areas that you want to grow as a person. And this principle is especially true in our relationships. Our relationships will all include some pain. And really, I want to encourage you today around this option of leaning in to some of the pain so that you can grow, so that the day will come when future you looks back and says, I'm so glad that every time it hurt in this meaningful relationship, I didn't just isolate and avoid I actually grew, and now the relationship has lasted. You know, I think we have to get rid of this idea that you can have a great life without having any pain. You watch enough other commercials, and you will get that idea. As long as you buy their product, you'll never have any pain. And enough, you know, social media influencers and other things all project this idea, which is a false idea, that you can have a great life without having any pain. Life includes pain from the very beginning. Childbirth, painful. Uh, anyone you look up to in sports, in media, in your career, they have fought through pain to get to where they are. And this is also true in relationships. We have to rid ourselves of the idea that we can have amazing relationships. And if, my, if, this per, if the other person's good enough, then it'll never hurt. It, it will hurt. There will be pain. So what do we do with it? I don't know if you have any favorite sitcoms. It's a kind of TV show. Sitcom is an abbreviation for situational comedy. There's all kinds of them. You know, you've got Friends is a classic one. One of me and Mel's favorites is called King of Queens. I had to mention it in this series because the series is called Kings and Queens. It's a guy who lives in Queens, New York. He's a blue-collar worker. He's hilarious. His wife, Carrie, is a total fireball. and <laughs> They have conflict all the time. And it's what makes the show so funny. Here's just one of their conflicts. Go ahead and take a look. And anyway, that's not even the point. I think it is the point. The only reason you want mom is because Margie's got her. What? No. No. I love, I love spending time with your mom. And she should love spending time with me. Well, I got to tell you, you don't exactly throw out the hang with me vibe. <laughs> And what is that supposed to mean? Just kind of like... <laughs> well, at least I don't walk around being huge. What? You just did the cat thing. That was just harmless fun. You're clearly not a cat. <laughs> yeah, every sitcom, if you, if you think about it, every TV show we watch is about people interacting. And there's tension in every show. In fact... When they teach you as a writer, here's how to write a story, it's all about the conflict and the tension. Now, the difference on a comedy sitcom like that is there's a commercial break, and then the tension gets resolved, and it's all, you know, tied up in a pretty bow within 20 or 30 minutes. And in real life, our tensions cut much deeper, and there are no commercial breaks, and sometimes they never get resolved. Life is just hard. I remember just feeling so depleted when our first two were both under the age of four. Here's that season of life. Here's some things as I thought about relationships, as I prayed for you this week, just realities. First, there's the pain of childbirth. I haven't experienced it, but I've witnessed it twice. And not only is it painful, it's disgusting. It's just gross, okay? Pain of childbirth. 
Then there's the exhaustion of having little ones. They just suck the life out of you. Mom especially, mom and dad, they just literally suck the life out of you. Then, for whatever reason, most of us decide, let's have another one. Let's do this again. <laughs> so then you have the fatigue of parenting more than one. And then at some point, you look up at each other and you realize, wow, we both look different, sound different. Who are you? Why did I marry you? And if the marriage is going to last, you have to go through this seasons of endurance and perseverance. I mean, those are words like, I think that was the name of the ship that went to the South Pole and got frozen down there, the endurance. And that's what marriage takes. Then if all of that works and you persevere through it, the kids get old enough that now they're driving and they go out with their friends and you wonder, who are they dating? Who are they liking? Are they drinking or not drinking? And you're racked with fear and anxiety. So what are these themes of relationship? pain, exhaustion, fatigue, endurance, fear. It's true, and yet we all rush into it because we are created for it. Why is it? Why do relationships have to be difficult? Wouldn't it be great if life was a TV show and relationships were just easy magically for all of us? Maybe more practical, what can you do in your life right now where a relationship has become difficult. In a movement of our size with thousands of people online and across central Indiana, there are thousands of you right now who there is difficulty that you never could have anticipated. You know, none of us stand at the marriage altar and look into the eyes of the person we love thinking, this is going to be so difficult, I just can't wait. None of us become grandparents thinking, oh, this will really strain my relationship with my kids and my grandkids will totally disappoint me. You know, we, we go into our relationships focused on the positive and then we get into them, we find out there's this whole other side to them. Well, God actually answers this question in the book of Ephesians. It's where our teaching pastor, Ron Merrill, he taught us last week from Ephesians chapter five. And Ron encouraged us, in our Life Application Study Bibles to just read this little book of the Bible. It's five or six chapters. As I've been reading it the last week, I really realized the whole book is about relationships. And God actually addresses this question, and he answers it a number of different ways. Here's one of them in Ephesians 2. It says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. This is the whole way you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. What are the ways of this world? Well, they're the ways of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Who is that? That's essentially Satan. That's the demonic realm. Uh, Satan and demons are real. They don't typically show up the ways you'd see in a horror movie. They show up every day in ideas that are packaged in really clean, cunning ways. Ideas such as, well, if that person deserves to be with you, they'll always make you happy. They'll never let you down. But that person doesn't exist. Satan will feed you ideas. There are ideas in the values of the culture that are opposite of God. Verse 4 says, Because of God's great love for us, he made us alive with Christ. So this is a letter that's written to believers in Jesus. And if you're with us and you're not yet a believer you're welcome to just hang out with us every weekend and just learn what Jesus taught. But everything from here forward in the message is uh, principles that apply to everyone, but really it's only those who believed in Jesus 
who access the power of God to a new life. This is what Jesus referred to as being born again. You don't have to pay money to be made right with God. You don't have to try to do enough good deeds to outweigh your bad deeds. None of us ever could. You simply have to receive that Jesus is God, that he died on the cross for you, admit that you have sins, ask him to forgive those sins, and make him the savior of your life. When you do, uh, you remember the last verse said, we were dead spiritually in our sin, but now through Christ we've been raised to a new life. And it's by grace we've been saved. And then it says this later in chapter 2, in Christ you also are being built. So after you believe in Jesus, you don't have to work to earn your salvation, but you start to live a new way of life, a better way of life, and you grow, you mature as a child does. And notice that word after it says you are being built together. And from here on in the book of Ephesians, there's this kind of woven in assumption that your spiritual growth happens in the context of relationships. And you can't actually grow to be the mature version of yourself in your character, in the spiritual realm, without relationships. It's not a solo sport. So why are relationships so difficult? Well, one reason is that relationships are actually the most important work in the world. Now, depending on your disposition, your upbringing, you might be thinking like, oh yeah, right on, relationships, they matter more than anything. Or maybe you're more like me. Before Jesus, before my wife, relationships are kind of like a side hustle for me, you know? It's about security, success, achievement, Material things that I liked, getting and doing. And, you know, if relationships helped me with that, great. But they were more of a side hustle. As you read Ephesians, God really says, as the creator of the universe, here are my priorities. Relationship is at the top of the list. In fact, if, if you were someday to read the whole Bible, you don't need to do it in one day. <laughs> but what you'll find is this. It's really a love letter from God to you. There's 66 books in there. The first one's called Genesis. The last one's called Revelation. And the theme through all of it is that the God who made you wants to be in relationship with you. So much so that he'd go through great pain and loss and suffering and shame that he never needed to experience, but he would endure those willingly to reach you so he could be in relationship with you. The other theme you'll find through the whole Bible is this uh, horizontal playing field of our relationships with one another. And that when the Bible's not talking about your relationship with God, it's almost always then talking about, well, now that you love me and you're in relationship with me, here's how you love others and treat them. Relationships are the most important work in the world. God gives you relationships actually to grow you into a better person, a more mature person, a more Christ-like person. And this is one of your goals and your callings after you believe in Jesus to forgive your sins, you set out on a lifestyle that says, I want to become more like Christ. I want to be more like Jesus. So real relationships aren't just for fun. They're not just for pleasure. Now, they'll include that. But they really are a tool that God uses to grow us 
I want to share with you from the book of Ephesians some wisdom from a loving father. This is God the Father, who really, if you study him and learn him, he's defined by relationship. He exists, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, this thing called the Trinity, in an unending, unbroken, perfect relationship. And then if you read the Old Testament and you learn about the angels, there are these almost like concentric rings around God of different species of angels that all exist in relationship with him. And then he created us to be in relationship with him. It's amazing if you study physics, how in the, in the world of physics at the subatomic level, as well as at the astrophysics, you know, universes and galaxies level, it's all about things being in relationship. It's the way we're designed physically and spiritually. Here's just four takeaways from Ephesians, and then we'll dive a little deeper into Ephesians 4. First, meaningful relationships in this world will be difficult. This is one of those things, I just wish someone had sat me down when I was 18, 19, 20, and someone who I could respect, who I could look at their way of life and say, yeah, that's what I want when I'm older, and put their arm around me and said, John, if you want to have what you see here, if you want to have all these people who love me and the healthy kids and the grandkids, it's going to be difficult. There's going to be pain. You've got to let go of the idea that you arrive here without fighting through some really difficult seasons. Second principle from Ephesians is that when there is pain, you have to choose one of two options. You're either going to choose immediate pain relief, which can look like isolation because, because my relationship with you hurts, I'm just going to leave. Or it can look like medication, whether that's alcohol, prescription drugs, other drugs, or sometimes the medications of shopping, busyness, social media. I'm not going to think about the fact that there's friction in our house. I'm just going to kind of ignore it by isolation or medication. That's a choice you can make. But just like the future you TV commercial, if you keep making that choice long enough, someday you'll look back and you, you won't have the kind of relationships that you thought you would have. Or you can choose long-term growth, which means there's some friction. I'm going to acknowledge that there's friction and I'm going to seek God and ask him to help me with it. I'm going to lean into it with the person who I care about and want to have relationship with. Uh, if you're a man, you seek out some Christian brothers here in our church family and say, hey, what did you do? Here's what's going on in my marriage, or here's what's going on with my son or my daughter. Can any of you relate to this? What did you do? If you're a gal, you, you get some sisters around you spiritually, get their advice, say, how do I grow through this? What needs to change in me for this to happen so that my future me can thank present me for not just tapping out? You often have to pick one or the other. This was the case for me and my marriage to Mel. Here's me and Mel 17 years ago, little kids that we were at the time. Left to myself, here was my pattern in life. I would escape the pain of difficult relationships. My parents were pretty isolated from me. I never fully bonded with them as a kid. And so that became a pattern in my life that if someone let me down, disappointed me or hurt me, I would just cut off the relationship and I would isolate, I would leave. And frankly, they'd be dead to me, you know? Like, I, I wouldn't really think about them anymore. As a single dude, it served me fine. 
I remember times that I would uh, tell a friend, like if a relationship didn't work and I just cut it off and left, I'd say, there are 7 billion people in the world. Why would I waste my time with the stupid ones? That was literally the way I thought. I know some of you do as well. The rest of you can judge me, okay? But (laughs) that was my life prior to Mel. Then God captured my heart, my relationship with him reignited. I fell in love with Mel, who was also a follower of Jesus. And I stood before God and a bunch of our friends and family, and I publicly declared that I would be loyal to her no matter what. And I had no idea what I was committing to. Because I had no idea how difficult it would get. And I didn't know that I had this pattern that whenever things were difficult, I ran away. Most of our patterns we're not self-aware of. So it was going to, it forced a conflict. Either I was going to break my pattern or I was going to break my vow that I made before God and a bunch of people. My lifelong reaction, my trained intuition, which had always protected me in the past, had served me well. It wasn't going to work anymore. And apart from Jesus being in me and apart from Mel being incredibly patient with me, I realize now I would have just continued a life of breaking relationships off. I would have been a relational nomad, a lone wolf, someone who jumps from one broken thing to the next broken thing. Week one of this series, we joked about how in dating and in marriage, opposites attract And the way that your spouse is so opposite from you, at first, it's exotic, and it's exciting, and it's exhilarating. And then, if you're in relationship long enough, the same things that allured you are, like, infuriating. Like, why did they do that? Will they ever stop doing that? Those opposites that attracted you can drive you crazy. And if you relate to any of that, I just want to encourage you There's a reason that opposites attract. There's a reason in physics that a a positive magnetic force and a negative will go together. There's a reason those opposites in your spouse, you actually need some of those things. And what happens is the opposites attract, and if both of them say, I refuse to be humble and change, it's just a catastrophic explosion eventually. But if both will say, I need to learn from you. You have things that I don't have that I'm not even aware of. And they mutually submit to each other like Ron taught us last week. God can bring the two together in a way that actually makes each individual someone they never could have been on their own. And that's what God did in my life through Mel. If I had married someone with similar wiring, trauma, disposition to me, the marriage probably would have lasted about three months Because at the first fight, it would have been like, yeah, I don't think this is working for me anymore. And if I had married someone like me, she would have said, it's not working for me either. I said, well, peace out then. You know, and we would have just, boom, we'd be gone. And if I keep doing that the rest of my life, am I ever going to have a great relationship with, with any life partner? No. Would I ever have a great relationship with offspring? No, because they're going to hurt you and disappoint you. God put me instead with this woman who's not just beautiful and smart and funny, but incredibly relational and possibly the most loyal person in the world, at least in my world. And so God bless Mel for putting up with me for at least the first seven or eight years of our marriage, probably the first 10. Because even though 
I never left her physically. There were plenty of days where I rolled into bed and I was completely cut off from her emotionally because there was conflict and there was tension and I didn't know how to deal with that. I'd never had someone actually stick through difficulty and keep pursuing me when it was hard. I didn't know how to have a relationship like that. Mel hung in there with me. And I'm convinced now as I look back and have a little more perspective on it that if she hadn't hung in there with me and if I hadn't submitted to God to hang in there on the marriage, I was on track to become that guy who in his 70s or his 80s, he's isolated from all of his kids. He's isolated from all of his exes. There's a reason for all of them why he doesn't talk to them. And he kept moving on and he achieved and acquired and has a bunch of toys and he lays on a deathbed or a hospital bed, and there's really not even anyone to show up because his deepest relationships are just some buddies who share some hobbies, but they don't even talk about anything that matters. A guy who lived his whole life for his own pleasure, never sacrificed, never denied himself, never pushed through the pain to grow something that lasts, that's who I would have been, apart from the work of God in my heart and the work of God through Mel. Mel taught me to fight through the pain in the present, to not just tap out of the conflict. She taught me even to fight for long-term relationship. She taught me the difference between, in a fight, just having to be right, which was my wiring, to instead actually fight for connection and the relationship. Um, Satan would love it whenever you get into a disagreement with someone for you to just dig in your heels and, uh, and keep proving that you're right. Because what Satan wants to do is destroy the relationship. And he can absolutely do that through our pride and our ego, even when we are factually right and we destroy the connection in the process. Things I never would have grown through if God hadn't put me in a relationship that really hurt while he was healing me. It's almost like, you know, when there's a veterinarian and there's an animal that has like, let's say a big wooden splinter in it. And they have to hold the animal down while they're pulling that thing out. I'm telling you guys, we've all got some big splinters in us from our childhoods, from our upbringing, from being born into a world that's afflicted by sin and evil. And sometimes the pain that's in your closest relationships is in a sense, God holding you down if you'll stay put and him using those people and the, the work that he does to pull out some of those splinters. That's the, the third piece of fatherly wisdom here from Ephesians. Some of your greatest opportunities for growth will result from conflict with the people you love the most. And let's be honest, conflict with the people we love the most hurts the most. Those who are closest to us can hurt us a lot more than those we've kept out. But it's this irony that those deep pains are often our greatest growth opportunities and God's instructing us for our own good, value the connection more than you value being right. Value figuring out what's going on more than just I need pain relief right now. That's the fourth piece. Choose to unpack your relationship pain. That might sound overwhelming. I'm not suggesting that in one date or even one year, you can both unpack all of your relationship pain. It takes a lifetime. And that's why God puts us in families for a lifetime. And I'm not suggesting that you live in the past and constantly dredge up the past. 
live in the present, plan for the future, love each other well, but when there's a pattern that keeps tripping you up in the present, or it's paralyzing you from being able to have the future that God wants for you, then pause. Pray for wisdom. And with the help of your spouse and often with the help of other godly brothers and sisters say, we got to figure this pattern out. More often than not, there's growth for both parties, not just one or the other. You know, for me and for Mel, what this required was identifying what I lacked and then me finding that in God the Father. So because I didn't grow up with a tight bond and relational security or a sense of financial security, I was living in a survival mode of I have to get, I have to achieve, and I need to kind of build up my little kingdom with this moat and these walls because I can't trust anyone to look out for me, so I better look out for myself. And, and if I had never learned through my relationship with Jesus that in my Father in heaven, I have all the security I need. One of my daily affirmations based on scriptures, I have to tell myself every day, I'm the heir to the largest fortune in human history. I am through Jesus. And I have to tell myself that because otherwise I live like I'll never have enough and I can't trust anyone and there will never be enough. And I had to let the Father heal some of those deepest wounds in me. Mel couldn't heal them, but God used her to help reveal them. And Mel would say in a similar way for her with relationships, that while God was using her to teach me things, God was also using me to teach her things. And while that sounds really nice, what it looked like was a, a lot of pain and a lot of conflict, but we kept choosing God, and he truly grew us through it. So choose to put in the hard work and the pain in your relationships. Why? Well, if you will. If you'll do that, if you'll keep Christ the head of your relationship, you'll do what he says, it will reduce your future pain. You'll start to identify some of those patterns, it'll actually change who you are, and it'll result in decades of a healthier relationship, a more fulfilling relationship, a more pleasurable relationship. It'll grow you to be a more mature person, and in the process, it'll grow you to become more like Jesus, a Christ-like person. So... What does all of this look like? Well, we'll just do a little flyover of Ephesians 4 to kind of describe, let God's word describe, here's what this looks like. If you're living this way, you're going to choose to not just run away every time it hurts. You're going to lean in, not in an unhealthy way, but in a way that says, God, what needs to change in me? What needs to change in our relationship? Ephesians 4 verse 1, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. There's a lot in here, but just a couple things I'll point out. The first three chapters of Ephesians are all about what God has done for you. That he as the creator reached out to you, created you from eternity past, has a plan for you. When sin separated you from him, he valued the relationship so much that he came into the world in the person of Jesus, died on the cross to right your wrongs, to reconnect you. And the whole first three chapters of this little letter are all about what God has done for you. That's why I highlighted here the word received. Because before God says, hey, do all this stuff, you have to get three chapters in your life of receiving. When you know how much you're loved, you're able to love others much. When you know how secure you are in your relationship with your Father in heaven, you can handle some insecurity in life without it rocking your world. 
And so receive the love that is yours through Christ. And then live a life worthy. In other words, now that you've been adopted into the family of God, a whole better way of life is unlocked to you. So start to pursue it and walk worthy of the sacrifice that he made. What does that look like? Verse 2, be completely humble. Be humble. Now, in our society, uh, humility is almost scorned. But in Scripture, there are two kinds of being humbled. The one kind of being humbled you're, we're all familiar with, it's when you think you can make the shot and you miss the shot, or you think you're going in for a promotion and they let you know they are letting you go, or you think you're really communicating well with your spouse and they tell you that uh, it makes them feel the opposite of that. Life can humble us. Our finances can humble us. Our circumstances can humble us. So there's that form of being humbled, but this is different. This is when we choose in our spirit, in our heart to say, God, it's what kneeling down is a physical expression of. I humble myself before you. You know things I don't know. You see things I don't see. You're smarter than I am. I humble myself before you. In fact, there's uh, a verse that's in the Bible twice. It's in the book of James and in the book, one of Peter's letters. And it says this, God resists the proud but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under his mighty hand that in due time he might lift you up. So this is the humility that we're after, is saying, God, I want to be humble before you. And as you learn to be humble before him, then that skill you can turn to the horizontal human relationships and start to be humble with other people. This doesn't mean you always walk around like this and that you don't think highly of yourself. Being humble, you still acknowledge what God has gifted you at and what you're good at, and God's given you skills and talents and treasures, and you're valuable in his sight. So being humble isn't talking yourself down. It's actually lowering yourself down lower than the reality of what you deserve out of love for others. It's what Jesus was referring to when he said, take my yoke upon you, take my burden, because I am lowly in spirit and I am meek. Meekness, it's not being weak. It's choosing to say, I'm almighty God. I never have to taste sin, death, shame, pain, any of that. But I will lower myself to a human station. I'll experience pain, sickness, death, rejection. I'll bleed, I'll sweat, I'll hunger and I'm going to lower myself lower than what I deserve, lower than what my rights are, because I value the relationship more than I value my rights. God is the ultimate model of this. And so what that looks like is when you're in a conflict with someone who God values and God wants them to be part of your life long term, and you're in the right, and that moment finally comes where they realize that you're in the right, or they should at least, and you've got the knife and you could twist the knife, being completely humble, instead you pull the knife out. You give them what they don't deserve. You surrender some of your rights instead of digging your heels in and saying, well, I have a right to show you that I'm right because you wronged me. Be completely humble. Be gentle. Be patient. Bear with one another in love. Verse 3, make Every effort 
to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So the moment you become a believer in Jesus, you are now part of a family outside of your biological family, a spiritual family of all the other followers of Jesus in the world. And there is actually a spiritual connection. You'll have times as you keep walking with Christ that you're on an airplane flight or you're on a subway or a bus somewhere, something where you're with total strangers and you start talking with someone and you just sense like, yeah, I'm pretty sure they're a believer too. And then sure enough, the conversation goes on and they're like, well, yeah, you know, our pastor the other day, I knew it. I knew you were another believer. There's this, there's this spiritual connection. And, and God desires unity among believers. This is true both in the Christian household as well as the household of faith, which is the church. God desires unity. This goes all the way back to Genesis, the Trinity. Relationship, connection is the essence of God. And Satan, Lucifer, his very existence is that he's jealous of God. And so he goes in and just like he did with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he wants to divide Divide, divide, divide. And one of the saddest things about Christian history, if you look back through 2,000 years since Jesus was here, so many of the things Jesus predicted have come true. It's spread to the ends of the world. All these huge things have come true. It's the biggest movement in human history. But probably the biggest reason that skeptics, including me when I was a skeptic, say I don't want a part of it, is how Christians fight with each other. It's the very opposite of what God wanted. In fact, this is so important that at the Last Supper, when Jesus, right before he went to the cross, you might remember he washed, he knelt down and washed the disciples' feet to show what humility looks like. He washed 10 grimy toenails on the feet of Judas, who he knew was about to sell him out to his death. Boy, that's what complete humility looks like. That's not in my nature. Only Jesus in us can do that. But John chapters 13 through 16, the gospel of John, we get three chapters of Jesus talking his final words. And what is the theme? Unity. He says in John 13, 35, this is how the whole world will know that you're my disciples, by your love one for another. If I'm not loving other believers, it doesn't matter how much Bible I've memorized, what degrees I have from seminaries, I'm not actually following Jesus. And if someone's never been to seminary and can't even quote two Bible verses, but they're great at loving other believers, they're following Jesus way better. This is true in homes as well. You know, Jesus in that time, he was praying at one point and he said, Father, my prayer is for unity for my disciples. And then he said this, my prayer, not only for them, but for everyone else who will ever believe in me after them. So that's us. Is that they would be one, Father, as you and I are one. So this unity, God, he doesn't say make some effort to be a kind of unified church. He says make every effort. And this applies to the Christian home because the Christian home, it's like a microcosm. It's like a little diorama. It's a little miniature model of the church. And so that non-believers who know your family can say, what's different about you guys? Why do you love each other so well? How could you forgive them for that? And you're able to say it's because of Jesus. I just have to pause here, connection point, to say thank you for being the most unified church that I've ever been a part of. And, and that is the result of each of you making daily choices to make every effort to keep the unity. 
It's what attracted me and my wife Mel here. I can tell you our teaching pastor, Ron, as he was flying back and forth and praying about moving here, as he got to know you all and rub shoulders with you and just feel that unity, your unity draws other people to both the staff and the congregation. Yeah, keep that up. Celebrate that. Keep doing that. And God says, make every effort for this. And so for me, as a dude, and I don't want to gender stereotype here, but I... You know, as a dude, I tend to value material things and success and achievement more than I value relationship. And what this is saying is be willing to sacrifice any of that. Be willing to sacrifice material wealth, achievement, ego, success. Make every effort to fight for relationship. Fight for connection, which doesn't mean a lack of conflict. It means a healthy pursuit of love within the conflicts, which will be inevitable, both in the church family and in your household family. Well, we could go through all of Ephesians 4, but I'll just summarize for you that if you read the whole chapter, you'll see words over and over again like growth, maturity, be built up. So this is the theme. As you're in healthy, Christ-centered relationships, God will grow you. And this is so important for you to have the ideal home relationships that you long for and were created for. You need some Christian relationships of people who you're not related to biologically who can coach you through the difficulty. Uh, I mentioned earlier the first seven to ten years of me and Mel's relationship and just how difficult it was. Thankfully, I had some Christian brothers in my life. And even as we moved to different states, I could call those guys on the phone and say, hey, here's what's going on. And they'd say, oh, you know what? We had a really similar thing. John, you got to hang in there. Keep obeying God. Keep submitted to Christ. So you, those relationships are going to help you. And if you don't have those yet, any weekend at any of our locations or online, go to any of our pastors or you can just talk to the people around you. Like, how do I get into a group? We'll get you into a group with some other people. And so as you do that, verse 15, you'll be speaking the truth in love. We will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of Christ, who is the head of the church. From him, from Jesus, the whole body, that's all of us, we're all different you know, body parts in this metaphor, we're joined and held together by every supporting ligament, and we grow. So growth of the church includes reaching the lost, and that the number of the church gets larger because we're reaching people, but growth of the church just as much is every individual believer should be growing as we build each other up for each one. And that means each of us serving as, as we're wired. So, okay, here's an important slide. Take a picture of this next one because this summarizes everything that we've been learning. When there's conflict in your relationship with another believer or any relationship that you want to fight for, choose the list on the left instead of the list on the right, which we're all drawn to in different ways. So I, Mel taught me to choose when there was conflict. I would always choose avoidance. God used Mel to teach me to choose connection, even if it hurts for a while to figure it out. <laughs> and if you're completely freaked out by that, let me just tell you, how long it hurts gets shorter and shorter. And as you learn to work through the stuff, the kind of resolution at the end of the episode gets sweeter and sweeter choose where it hurts right now growth 
You could choose pain relief. Some of you, you've been choosing pain relief, but you're not going to grow if you keep choosing that. Choose growth. When it hurts, choose your future. I want, you know, I want to look back in 30 years. Mel and I, we were at dinner last night. All our kids were playing at different friends' houses, which was awesome. So we were like, let's go out on a date. This is great. We were at dinner, and there was a, a couple in their late 70s at the table next to us. And, and the guy had his legs crossed, and his foot was, like, on his wife's leg. And I, I looked at him, and I said, Mel, that's us in 30 years. That's, that's where we want to be. Like, we choose that future state. It means there's times that it's hard, and we both have to humble ourselves and fight through the present. And then choose Christ's way instead of your way. You know, I described my way before Christ, which some of you really relate to. Others of you, you're not an isolator, you're a clinger. You, your way is, you know, what therapists call codependent. You'll fight for the relationship, and you'll fight so hard for it, you'll strangle that person to death. <laughs> and the reason for that is you also have insecurities that you haven't resolved through your relationship with God, so you're looking to that human to do everything for you. Only God can meet some of your needs. We've all got different wounds, but whatever your wounds are, Read the words of God. Keep being here on weekends and say, I'm going to learn to live like Christ. I'm going to choose his way one conflict at a time. All right. Here's what I believe God brought you here today. Where there's pain right now, in that pain, choose to not tap out. As I prepared this message, even though... Well, I'll just say this. As I prepared this message, I just had this sense from the Spirit of God... There are some marriages right now in our movement that this message will be the difference between life or death. Not because of me, but because of the power of the word of God, because there's someone listening right now and you've tapped out. And God's telling you right now, if that other person's a believer, if you want to be in a healthy relationship for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, invite God to grow you, even if it hurts. Ask God to mature that other person. You know their imperfections better than anyone, but God sees where they need to grow too. You focus on your growth. Pray that he'll work on their growth. That's what Mel and I both did. And God grew us both. And then ask God, God, will you strengthen this relationship? You say, John, it just hurts too much. I can't. I understand. My capacity emotionally is pretty low. So I understand if you feel like, John, it just hurts too much. If that's the case, look to Jesus. He has a capacity that you don't have. You can look to him as your model, washing Judas' feet. You can look to him as your motivation. But also you can call out to him when you don't have the strength to do it. God, I don't have the strength to fight for this. I don't have the strength to endure. I can't keep going. He'll mobilize you with his power. When you're weak, Call out for his strength in you. Hebrews 12, verse 2. Believers, we fix our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured. I mean, just that little highlighted part is what we learned today. Long term gain, an eternal relationship with you, was so worth it that he chose temporary pain, he endured temporary pain. For the long-term gain, this is God's way of relationships. He'll strengthen you to do it. 
And I'll just close by rewinding on my life. Here's Jack when he was born. I love this guy to death, but he never slept through the night. I was having, you know, horrific headaches at the time. Hemiplegic migraines, they're called. I was having to be in the hospital for these headaches, and if your sleep's interrupted, it was just a miserable season. And then Zoe came along, tiny little Zoe. And then God brought us Evie. Here we are last week. Uh, it was Mel's birthday. She wanted to go karaokeing, so we all went karaokeing. We're all singing our lungs out and just having a blast. A family of rich relationships. Everyone, everyone in this family is a sinner, but everyone genuinely loves the others because of their mom's example. I look at a picture like that and I, I realize how alone I would be in life if I had just done it my way. God's way is so much better. You can trust him. You can trust him. He's got good things for you. Let me pray for you now. Father, I just pray for the person who right now, they've given up. Would you breathe perseverance into them? Breathe hope into them. Jesus, every single one of us right now, we just say we want to be more like you. We want to humble ourselves, be completely humble. We want to make every effort for unity. Lord, where we've been choosing pain relief over growth, we kind of repent of that today. We're going to choose growth. Where we've been choosing the short, easy way out in the present, we've been sacrificing the future. Jesus, we want to be like you who for the joy set before you endured. God, I pray over every marriage, present and future, some who are dating or engaged, I just pray over every marriage in our church family, God, that each will, will look back from a long life together with a deepness of connection and relationship that words cannot express, and that you'll use every husband and every wife to mature each other to be more like you. Lord, use us as parents, as grandparents to train our young ones, not just raise them, but train them to follow you. God, use us as brothers and sisters in the family of Christ to be men who coach each other to be great husbands and dads, great leaders in our workplaces. And same, Lord, with the sisters, that they would encourage each other, challenge each other, walk with each other. May we be the body that you desire for us to be built up and growing and mature as we keep you, Jesus, the head of our church, the head of every home. We, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, if today's episode encouraged you or helped you in any way, we would invite you to keep following Jesus with us. We send out a daily video text devotional. You can receive that and you can learn how to gather with us online or in person for our weekend services. All of that is available over at cp.news. That's the letter C, the letter P.news on your phone or desktop or tablet browser. Thanks again for joining us and please join me again next week for the Connection Point Podcast.